Well, good evening, everyone. It's a blessing to be here. And this evening, I want to uh, share with you just a burden of my heart, um, which is to talk about the combination of combining the gospel with the medical ministry. A combination that I believe that is God-ordained to have a powerful impact in the very last days. And while he's working with my slides, we're sorry about that, I'm just going to tell you in a nutshell what I hope to accomplish in the next 45 or 50 minutes. So I want to convince you that God has sent a message to this church and given us the, the, he's given us the duty of preaching the three angels' messages to the world. And that is our gospel calling. He has given us a message that teaches us um, how to be prepared to do that. And combined with that, he's given us the, the message of medical evangelism. And all of us have a role to play. So we're going to talk about motivation for service. That's what we're here talking about this whole week. Thank you. The explosive power of the gospel. And what I hope to have accomplished at the end is to realize that for years, Amen has talked about blending medical ministry and the gospel ministry with pastors and physicians working together. Tonight, I want to challenge us to think even one step beyond that. Medical ministry and gospel ministry combined in a physician or a dentist. Or gospel ministry and medical ministry combined in a pastor. Because that's what Ellen White envisioned when she was thinking about medical evangelism. So we're on borrowed time. The world is going along just playing through like nothing is happening at all. And I don't know how it's going to go on much longer. This is a real picture from Hawaii this past summer. It just blows my mind. I don't know how you can play. Yeah, I don't enjoy golf that much to begin with. But to have a volcano blowing up behind you and just playing through. This is what our world's doing. This is what we are up against. And Seventh-day Adventism has been called to give a warning message to the world. I do not believe that we were raised up to be one more denomination among multiple denominations. Seventh-day Adventism was a movement, a movement that could have actually been wrapped up before we even formed as a church in 1863. And yet, Ellen White has an interesting quote that I think can be instructive for us. And we ask the question, are we, let's internalize this, are we like ancient Israel? It was not the will of God that Israel should wander in the wilderness 40 years. He desired to lead them directly to the land of Canaan and to establish them there, a holy, happy people. But they could not enter in because of unbelief. Quoting Hebrews 3.19, because of their backsliding and apostasy, they perished in the desert and others were raised up to enter the promised land. In like manner, it was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be so long delayed and his people should remain so many years in this world of sin and sorrow. But unbelief separated them from God as they refused to do the work which he had appointed them. Others were raised up to proclaim the message. In mercy to the world, Jesus delays his coming. That sinners may have an opportunity to hear the warning and find in him a shelter before the wrath of God shall be poured out. 
There has to be a warning message that goes to this world. God is too merciful to just come and find the world playing through and not have been warned of the wrath to come. And that is what he has raised up Seventh-day Adventists to do. So Ellen White makes it even clearer. Letter 184, 1901, or in Evangelism, page 96. Charge it not to God. We may have to remain here in this world because of insubordination many more years, as did the children of Israel. But for Christ's sake, his people should not add sin to sin by charging God with the consequences of their wrong course of action. Why do we have to remain in this world? It's not because God has some magic timetable. It's not God's purpose. It's because of us. We have something to do with this. We may hasten the day by giving the gospel to the world that is in our power to hasten our Lord's return. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of the Lord Jesus. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last harvest would be ripened, and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. This church was raised up to be a movement that would catalyze, that would quickly get the attention of the of, of loyal, honest-hearted people that just didn't know but felt God's call in their life, and quickly they would be convicted, quickly they would learn what they needed to learn, and the gospel could go around the world in less than one generation. In fact, I believe just a few short years. Now, I can remember growing up as a child thinking, well, if I'd been one of those Israelites, I would have listened to those two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua. I wouldn't have been one of those that... that um, disagreed and disobeyed but you know what we can think that we're better than ancient Israel but seventh day Adventists have been doing this for five generations in Israel the second generation figured it out and they crossed over to the promised land and so I believe that the very first call to this church as a movement was in the 1840s with William Miller and it seems to me that there's a parallel to what happened in ancient Israel. We parallel their history in unbelief. Somehow the Holy Spirit is longing to be poured out. God brings messages of hope, messages of the gospel that should touch our hearts. And it should lead us to repentance. And if we would respond, we could be the generation that finishes this work. But every 40 years, the Holy Spirit is brought back. Every 40 years, there's another message of the righteousness of Christ and a call to repentance. And we are now here for five generations. Must there be more? Ellen White states that many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to his divine person, his merits and his changeless love for the human family. All power is given into his hands that he may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent. 
This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure. The message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. I'm intrigued by this idea of the revelation of his character of love. I've been convicted this last year that the devil has done a pretty good job of turning every single aspect about God's character around 180 degrees. God gets the blame for every hurricane. God gets the blame for every tornado. Not a day goes by that in my office somebody asks me, why is God doing this to me? And as we reflect his character, first and foremost, we can teach them what his character is truly like. And that's part of our calling. But our calling is even more than that, is to demonstrate his character. Just two weeks ago, I had the opportunity of a husband and wife who came into, uh-oh, came into my office. I've talked about their father, his father, who is a uh, chief of the fire department in one of our towns. He doesn't go to church, and so these kids hadn't ever been raised in church. And yet, um, they know there's something different. But they were in my office having just three or four weeks earlier lost their four-and-a-half-month-old child with congenital heart disease. And so, so they're in my office. They don't go to church. They haven't been raised in church. And they're just, I just asked them, why are you here? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I just, um, as I start talking to them, they're here to make sure that they don't have heart disease and they need an echocardiogram, but that was the least of their trouble. We dealt with that in about 10 seconds. But then I had an opportunity to start talking to them about what God is like and that it's not God who did this. And uh, to talk to them about where their child is now. And so we um, had a discussion about the immortality of the soul, how the, uh, that baby is asleep in Jesus, and yet he longs to reunite them um, together and will accomplish that um, when he comes. And it just reminded me that our whole world has this picture of God that has turned 180 degrees around. We believe that it's God that's bringing the cancer to us. It's God that's bringing the hurricanes. No wonder the world doesn't trust God. There has to be a group of people in the very last days that represent his character of love and give a representation of what that is like, not just in arguments and discussion, but in practical godliness. And I believe that's partly why God has raised up amen. So I believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church, after being raised up, um, we just got into the mode of arguing over doctrine. And we had church members and pastors and those who could articulate the biblical truths, but it didn't have a practical application. 
And so we began to see the early work of uh, people like Dr. Kellogg. And um, Ellen White started talking about how there had to be a revival and repentance. And so in the 1880s, the Lord raised up um, two young gentlemen, Jones and Wagner. And this was truly a blended ministry. So Elliot Wagner was a physician and A.T. Jones was a pastor. In Ellen White states in Last Day Events, page 200, the Lord in his great mercy sent a most precious message to his people through elders Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. The message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other. And uh, so, bottom line is, Ellen White more than 400 times endorsed and uh, talked about these two young messengers that brought the message back to our church of Christ and our righteousness. And it's that power, I believe, that is when combined with the gospel and the message of uh, health and healing has the power to change this world. So the message of righteousness is the sound from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way for the Lord. This is the glory of God, which closes the work of the third angel. Ellen White is identifying the fact that the message of the righteousness of Christ that was brought in the 1880s is the very message of giving the three angels' messages to the world. After all, the three angels' messages start out with the everlasting gospel to go to the world. And so this was a message that has power. Okay, my advancer is not yet working. There we go. Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered it is the third angel's message in verity. So the truth for this time, the third angel's message is to be proclaimed with a loud voice, meaning with increasing power as we approach the great final test. This test must come to the churches in connection with the true medical missionary work, a work that has the great physician to dictate and preside in all it comprehends. Ellen White saw that these two should be joined together, and she was encouraged with what she saw. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. We've heard this. We've talked about this. We've looked at this before. But what does it mean for Christ's character to be perfectly reproduced in his people? And I believe that by combining the gospel medical work um, together, that is how it is reflected. It is the privilege, let's go back once, it is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord. For all who profess his name, bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. This doesn't need to take a long time. The majesty of heaven, the world has been visited by the majesty of heaven, the Son of God, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ came to this world as the expression of the very heart and mind and nature and character of God. He was the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his person. God loved us so much that he gave his son to this world. When we begin to be transformed by the gospel message of God's love toward us, it will have an effect in our hearts so that we do the same thing for the world around us. You know, we've been blessed to have many good friends, uh, many of our closest friends from the medical school days. Um, Lindy and I have not had children of our own, but we've been blessed to actually share in our friends' children. And uh, there's many, I'm sure I would leave them out, but it's been a unique privilege to have, um, especially um, the Guthrie kids uh, come stay at our house and um, some of the Nedley kids come stay at our house, the Ranzinger kids come stay at our house, and just to hang out with us and to get to know them. And it's just really neat that they would be entrusted to us. And you know, just watching these kids grow up from little kids, see them maturing into young adults and godly young Christian adults, it's just amazing to my heart. And I just was reflecting on this the other day. There isn't anything that Lindy and I wouldn't do for these kids. We feel like they're our own. And you know what's really amazing? Is, I'm assuming this, but when you talk to their parents, they don't mind that we think that way about their kids. In fact, they're encouraged that we think about their kids that way. And I got to thinking, God lent his son, no, he gave his son to our world. And it's really easy for us to identify with our friends' children and to love our friends' children and to do anything for our friends' children. But God has children in this world. And when I stop and think, do I love Jesus? Well, our friends know that we care about them because we care about their kids. And if I really love Jesus, then I'm going to be loving his children. Some of them aren't so nice as the children that we enjoy. Some of them are homeless. Some of them come to our office and they're the whiniest patients. But if you really want to ask yourself if you love Jesus, do you love his children? That's what the gospel effect will have on our heart. Clicker's not working. There we go. So, Ellen White stated back in the 1880s, the time of test is just upon us, for the loud cry of the third angel has already begun in the revelation of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, the sin-pardoning redeemer. This is the beginning of the light of the angel whose glory shall fill the whole earth. Which angel is this? This is the fourth angel of Revelation 18. Ellen White identified in her day that something was happening. What did she see? She identifies it as the very beginning outpouring showers of the latter rain that bring with it the loud cry. It was beginning to happen in her day. What was happening in her day? Well, one thing was Jones and Wagner and others were going around preaching the message of Christ and our righteousness. It was calling the church members to repentance. If you can advance the slide. 
And the medical missionary work was going on. Dr. Kellogg, Helen White said that Dr. Kellogg was a converted man after the 1888 general conference session and everyone knew it. And Dr. Kellogg had taken up the medical missionary work and I encouraged him with heart and soul because I knew that only by this work can the prejudice which exists in the world against our faith be broken down. There's something about the power of the health message, something important about combining the gospel with the medical missionary work that breaks down barriers and breaks down prejudice and opens doors to the gospel like nothing else. Let's go forward. And so there's a unique and special relationship between the beginning of the loud cry message and the medical missionary work. These two were combined. And Dr. Kellogg was a converted man. We don't have time to get into this history, but I believe that this is history that every committed Seventh-day Adventist who wants to know why we are still here ought to be studying. And two books I'd recommend to you to get into it a little bit further is The Return of the Latter Rain by Ron Duffield. This documents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 1880s and onward and what happened to quench it because of the unbelief of some of our brethren. And a book by Dave Fiedler, De Sozo, which talks about the medical missionary work that was going on at that same time. And for a very short time, these two came together and God's outpouring of his Holy Spirit began to fall on our church. Let's go forward. Missionary health. The Lord has signified that the missionary health restorative gospel shall never be separated from the ministry of the word. The Lord Jesus has in his own example shown us the way in which his work is to be done in the restoration of suffering humanity. God has joined two things together. What God has joined together, let no man what? Put asunder. God has joined these together because he knows that there is power. If God has joined these together and there's power, what's the devil going to want to do? He's going to want to cause as much separation as possible. So let me ask you a question. If I have a patient who comes in to me after having a heart attack and he smokes two packs per day, and because I pray with him and I point him to the power of Jesus to make a real change in his life, and he's able to give up smoking by the power of prayer, has he been converted? I'm going to say yes. He has started the process of conversion by responding to let God work in his heart. It is as much the process of conversion as a baby Christian as anybody else that starts at any other level. And if we just had a supportive environment of Christians that supported baby Christians wherever they are, smokers, alcoholics, people that have problems with um, their faith or any other issue, it's the same process, and they're beginning on the path. The gospel works both for our health, both for our spiritual health. God is no respecter of persons, but in every generation, they that fear the Lord and work righteousness are accepted of him. While those who are murmuring, unbelieving, and rebellious will not have his favor nor the blessings promised to those who love the truth and walk in it. Those who have had the light and do not follow it, but disregard the requirements of God, will find that their blessings will be changed into curses. 
and their mercies into judgments. God would have us learn humility and obedience as we read the history of ancient Israel, who were his chosen and peculiar people, but who brought their own destruction by following their own ways. Have we seen the health work get changed to a curse? Have we seen it bring about judgments? If it's devoid of the gospel, it can be the worst thing that's happened to us. They have to be united. Well, I believe that there's been two lines of parallel thought that are happening in Adventism. I really shouldn't use the word parallel because it's actually diverging. Back in the 1880s, when the message of righteousness by faith was combined with the message of of health and the gospel ministry was combined with the health ministry, what did the devil attack? There was an attack on the very spirit of prophecy because Ellen White was endorsing that message. She was supporting Dr. Kellogg and the leading ministers of that day began to question, boy, is she really a prophet? But there was also a separation in the gospel in the health ministry. And that separation continues to this day. Ministers were some of the slowest to adapt the health principles of a vegetarian diet. Ministers and physicians didn't trust each other. And yes, it's easy to reject and resist the message that God gave in 1888 because the messengers and Dr. Kellogg all wound up leaving the church. But that doesn't nullify the impact of their message. Every 40 years or so, God keeps bringing this message back. Just as he did with ancient Israel. I believe that he used A.G. Daniels who wrote a book, Christ Our Righteousness, And there was a series of sermons by Taylor Bunch that that looked back at our history as a church, the exodus in type, in anti-type. And he looked at the comparisons and said that we are following the exact history of Israel. And there was a revival. I don't have time to go into it, but every time that the Lord pours out a message of righteousness and a call to repentance, he starts bringing us back to these principles and these pillars that are important to us. And there is a time of relative opening in the world. There's an opening to the gospel. And Ellen White says what we don't do in good times, we're going to have to do in extremely hard times. And when the 1888 message was resisted and rejected over 100 years ago, next thing we know, World War I broke out. Communism spread through Russia. And you can see this trend repeated After attacking the spirit of prophecy and the gospel and the health messages together in the 1920s, the sanctuary was attacked. People like Ballinger. The 1960s, the thing same, well, and then we have another world war. Communism then swept through China and closed that whole area. The 1960s, there was another revival. Another interest in spiritual things. The message of Christ, our righteousness, and a call to repentance that was brought to our church. But unbelief runs deep. And again, we've resisted and rejected to a large degree that message. And now, Christ's humanity was questioned. The sanctuary was questioned all the more. The spirit of prophecy is under greater attack. 
And I believe recently, again, there's been a resurgence in the interest of the message of Christ our righteousness, an effort to bring it back together with the gospel ministry combined with the health ministry, and I believe that's why God has been raising up places like Weimar, places like GY, organizations like GYC and Amen. He is trying to restore what he can't do through the big organized sources. And so he raises up alternatives. But we're seeing things happening. Now in our churches, you hardly hear a sermon on the second coming anymore. Hardly talked about in our churches. It's not taught in our schools. Spirit of prophecy, the sanctuary, the humanity of Christ, the second coming, all these are under attack. There can't be a third world war. If we go another generation, we're going to lose the Sabbath truth. And so there's been these two paths, starting close together, but getting farther and farther and farther apart in Adventism. We saw it manifested at the Autumn Council, where everyone wants to do what's right in their own eyes, just like back in the book of Judges. One group trying to be relevant to our culture, trying to have an experiential religion, but gets rid of all of our fundamental doctrines. That's not culturally relevant. And so there's this culture war going on in Adventism. Go to the next slide. Well, Christ was the savior of the world. During his life on earth, the sick and afflicted were objects of his special compassion. When he sent out his disciples, he commissioned them to heal the sick as well as to preach the gospel. When he sent forth the 70, he commanded them to heal the sick and next to preach that the kingdom of God had come nigh unto them. Their physical health was to be first cared for in order that they might be prepared for the truth to reach their minds. Jesus has always followed the example of that blended ministry that should not be separated. Councils on Health, page 34. Let's go to the next slide. Back up one. A minister of the gospel who is also a medical missionary who, through Christ, can cure physical ailments as well as minister in spiritual things is a much more efficient worker than one who cannot do this. His work as a minister of the gospel is much more complete. What is that? A minister who does medical missionary work? Blended. There's a power when these two are blended together. How shall the Lord's work be done? How can we gain access to souls buried in the midnight darkness? Prejudice must be met. Corrupt religion is hard to deal with. The very best ways and the means of work work must be prayerfully considered. There is a way in which many doors will be opened to the missionary. Let him become intelligent in the care of the sick as a nurse or learn how to treat disease as a physician. And if he is imbued with the spirit of Christ, what a field of usefulness is open before him. There is a power in the medical missionary work that breaks down prejudice, that opens doors like nothing else to the gospel. I, uh, every patient that I see, when I, when I conclude an encounter, I always say, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Is that something you'd appreciate? Now, I have gotten in the habit of writing a little NP in the bottom of my charts when a patient doesn't, has once told me that, you know, Doc, uh, I'd rather not, I'm an atheist. One of my patients that I saw just a few months back 
Um, he's in his 80s, a very prominent um, home builder in our area. He had uh, previously told me that he was an atheist. He had a little MP in his chart. But I got to the end of the encounter with him just the other couple months ago and uh, hadn't bothered to look at that. And so I just did what I normally do. Um, hey, Don, uh, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Is that something? He goes, Doc, Doc, remember, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. Well, he had some questions about how evangelicals can support Trump, but then ultimately we got to, we got to a question. Um, he said, Doc, I don't understand how, if God is a God of love, all this bad stuff in the world can happen. The Holocaust, babies dying, all these things. He's not going to go talk to a pastor. He's not going to probably even stop on the channel that has 3ABN or Hope Channel on it. But he's in my office. I've just brought up a spiritual conversation by accident. And now I'm having a 20-minute conversation about God and his character of love and how the whole picture of God has been turned around backwards in our world. It's not God who causes disease. That he cries when we suffer. That his will is not always done in this world. And it's only as he can convict us and he gets enough people together that he can change the stream in our history through his influence in our lives. That he doesn't force our will. And so we just talked about the great controversy. And he says, I've never heard anything like this before. That is the power of the health ministry to open the door to the gospel, even to atheists. So the physician is a missionary. I have been surprised as being asked by physicians if I did not think it would be more pleasing to God for them to give up their medical practice and enter the ministry. I am prepared to answer such an inquire. So Pastor Finley, just close your ears for a second. If you are a Christian and competent physician, you are qualified to do how much more good as a missionary for God? Tenfold more good as a missionary for God than if you were to go forth, I don't know why she used the word merely, as a preacher of the word. I would advise young men and women to heed Give heed to this matter. Perilous times are before us. The whole world will be involved in perplexity and distress. Disease of every kind will be, open, will be upon the human family. And such ignorance as now prevails concerning the laws of health would result in great suffering and the loss of many lives that might be saved. There is a special work that we as physicians and dentists and nurses can do. And the merely pastors are the ones that haven't gotten themselves educated in medical missionary work because they should be doing it as well and then they can have the same power. Let's go forward. There we go. This should be a work of every single church. The medical missionary work should be a part of the work of every church in our land. Disconnected from the church, it would soon become a strange medley of disorganized atoms. It would consume but not produce. Do we see that with our modern healthcare system? 
instead of acting as God's helping hand to forward the truth, it would sap the life and the force from the church and weaken the message. Conducted independently, it would not only consume talent and means needed in other lines, but in the very work of helping the helpless, apart from the ministry of the word, it would place men where they would scoff at Bible truth. When I just practice as a physician and I say, you know, the modern science says that you should take the beta blocker and you should take an ACE inhibitor and you should be on aspirin, and I don't bring up a single spiritual thing, and I don't point them to God as the source of healing, what have I done? I've emphasized science as their savior. Right? But when I pray with my patients and I say, there's only one true healer, and that's Jesus Christ, and I'm going to ask him to be with us when I do your case, what have I done? I pointed them to the true source of healing. Just on Monday, I had the opportunity to treat a very prominent surgeon in our community who has interstitial lung disease and so is not a surgical candidate. He has mixed valvular disease, aortic stenosis, and mitral stenosis with mitral regurgitation. And um, our surgeons at our hospital said, you know, we'd probably, you'd probably wind up on a ventilator for weeks, probably have a trach, and wind up in renal failure if we operated on you. So I sent him to the Cleveland Clinic. They scheduled him for surgery. In the morning of surgery, their surgeon came in, and they looked at him. He says, you know what? I can't do surgery on you. Your lungs are too bad. I don't think you'll survive. They said, so, but perhaps you could have a percutaneous procedure where they can replace your aortic valve and your mitral valve. And at that point, he said, well, that might be true, but I'll go back and talk to Dr. Schwartz and the team down there. And over the last um, six weeks, I've had the opportunity to talk to this gentleman who's been in the hospital for the better part of 30 days out of those six weeks. And day by day, I come in and I pray with him. And I talk to him about the fact that this is pretty difficult. There's been less than 200 percutaneous mitral valves placed when somebody just has uh, mitral calcification in the whole world. The acute mortality rate is over 25%. And I've got my whole hospital watching me taking care of one of the most prominent surgeons we have. It's easy to either flinch or to take the glory to yourself at a time like that. But every day I said, you know, I believe that God wants to bless you. I believe that he's going to help us through this. Oh boy, I talked to every advisor I could. We looked at every single case that we could find. I brought in an expert in the field who came down to proctor me. He's done three and two out of his first three died. But that was my expert. But we prayed. We prayed. And I prayed with him every day the week before surgery. He got to where he just quickly hold out his hand. And this is a guy that never attended church. He was always too busy. He's not previously open to spiritual truth. But the case went so fantastic. The proctor says, I've watched cases on at, our, at conferences, I've been to cases where they've done them in other places, and in our own hospital, I've never seen a case go so smooth as this one and turn out so well. And it's praise God. And I then go back in and meet that surgeon the next day. He said, I just want to thank you. And I said, well, don't thank me. Remember, we prayed. 
He got tears in his eyes, and I said, God's got a plan for you. He saw you through this. And he says, no, you're right. God guided you to save me, and he is now giving glory to God. That is the power of the medical missionary work to transform lives. And so I was talking to his wife. I said, we did talk about the fact that, you know, without this procedure, you're going to die. And he came in so short of breath, he said, oh, I thought I was going to die last night. And we did everything we could to keep him off a ventilator, and he was on BiPAP, but then we got him off. And I just said, you have fear about that, don't you? And his wife said, yeah, it's hard to know what happens after you die. I guess you could look at YouTube. <laughs> you know, there's, there's people that have seen the light, and then they came back. And I said, well, if I were you, I wouldn't go to YouTube. I'd go to the Bible. And I shared a couple Bible texts with them, and they were very grateful, and they said, yeah, you're right. That makes sense. But that didn't occur to them. It doesn't occur to our world to turn to God because we live in a very secular world. I love this clock down here, by the way. It stayed on 50 minutes to go the whole time. <laughs> Let's go forward. Speaking of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Ellen White in Medical Ministry says he laid aside his royal robe and kingly crown and he stepped down from his high command to take the place of a servant. That's what we're here talking about, right? Service. He was rich, but for our sake, that we might have eternal riches, he became poor. He made the world... But so completely did he empty himself that during his ministry he declared, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Philippians 2 goes on to state that Jesus set aside everything, despising the shame, but he was obedient to the point of death. Not just to death, but death on a cross. And the cross of Christ shows us that Jesus Christ loves us more than he loves even himself. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he could not be happy up in heaven. What does that mean for us? Physicians and dentists. We didn't make the world. But we live in palaces compared to many around us. Is it too much to ask of us to empty ourselves? To serve our fellow man? To join in the sufferings of Jesus? The Lord has signified that the missionary... Health restorative gospel shall never be separated from the ministry of the word. These two need to be joined together. Christ stands before us as the pattern man. The great medical missionary, an example for all who should come after. What then is the example that we are to set to the world? It has to be the same self-emptying love. Every physician should be devoted 
intelligent gospel medical missionary. They need to be a devoted, intelligent gospel medical missionary, familiar with heaven's remedies for the sin-sick soul. What are the remedies for the sin-sick soul? The gospel. Of all people, we need to know the gospel even more than pastors. Heaven's remedy for the sin-sick soul as well as with the science of healing bodily disease. We need to be expert in both. And so she goes on, physicians need a double portion of religion. Of men in any calling, physicians are most in need of clearness of mind, purity of spirit, and that faith which works by love and purifies the soul, that they may make the right impression upon all who come within their sphere of influence. We need to be connected. Now is the time for God's people to show themselves true to principle. When the religion of Christ is most held in contempt, when his law is most despised, then should our zeal be the warmest and our courage and firmness the most unflinching. To stand in defense of truth, in righteousness when the majority forsake us, to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few, this will be our test. I believe we are living in the very last days of this earth's history. It is within our grasp to be that final generation. But the religions of the world are so far away from what we are doing that we'll be persecuted for this. Even in our own church, there are two not parallel parallel, but diverging lines of thought. One that is trying to be culturally relevant but one that will stand in the defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few. This will be our test. At this time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others. You ever tried to get warmth out of an ice cube? It's pretty hard. Courage from their cowardice and loyalty from their treason. The nation will be on the side of the great rebel leader. Let's go forward. But in John 13, 35, Ellen White brings us back up in Second Selected Messages 373. Brethren, you, will you carry the Spirit of Christ with you as you return to your homes and to your churches? Will you put away unbelief and criticism Have we seen that in our church recently? I don't go on the Spectrum website very often, but the stuff that has been put on there in the last few weeks during Autumn Council just wrenches my heart. From our own brethren, unbelief and criticism. We are coming to a time when more than ever before we shall need to press together, to labor unitedly. In union there is strength. In discord and disunion, there is only weakness. God never designed that one man or four or 20 should take an important work into their hands and carry it forward independently of other workers in the cause. 
I believe that as a man, we should be pressing together with every other ministry that is doing the gospel work and doing medical missionary work. We can unite with Pathways. We can unite with GYC. We can unite with other ministries that are giving the gospel. God never designed that one man 420 should take an important work into their own hands and carry it independently of other workers in the cause. God wants his people to counsel together, to be a united church, in Christ a perfect whole. The only safety for us is to enter into the councils of heaven, ever seeking to do the will of God, to become laborers together with him. No one company is to form a confederacy and say, we are going to take this work and carry it on in our own way. And if it does not go as we want it to, we will not give our influence to get or to have it to go at all. This is Satan's voice, not God's. Do not obey such suggestions. And so when you see the work going forward, encourage those that are doing it in other paths and in other ways. Let's go forward. I wish to speak about the relation existing between the medical missionary work and the gospel ministry. It is presented to me that every department of the work is to be united in one great whole. The work of God is to prepare a people to stand before the Son of Man at his coming, and this work should be a unit. The work that is to fit a people to stand firm in the last great day must not be a divided work. We as Seventh-day Adventists need to repent. Becca, I like my clock at 50 minutes. We need to repent because we have been disunited. We haven't had the power. We have stifled the latter rain showers. We have not combined the gospel and the health message together into a powerful unit. We should ever remember that the object of medical missionary work is to point sin-sick men and women to the man of Calvary, who taketh away the sin of the world. By beholding him, they will be changed into his likeness. We are to encourage the sick, the suffering, to look to Jesus and to live. Let the workers keep Christ, the great physician, constantly before those to whom disease of the body and soul has brought discouragement. Point them to the one who can heal both physical and spiritual disease. Tell them of the one who is touched with the feelings of their infirmities. Encourage them to place themselves in the care of him who gave his life to make it possible for them to have life eternal. Talk of his love. Tell of his power to save. Physicians and dentists and nurses. We're not just to open the door and then turn them over to the chaplain. We're to take them on into the gospel understanding that will convert their hearts and their minds. And, they're, they're, and they'll be open to it after you've ministered to them. Well, all right, well, I'll skip that slide. So the medical missionary work was never presented to me in any other way than as bearing the same relationship as to the work as a whole, as the arm does to the body. The gospel ministry is an organization for the proclamation of the truth and the carrying forward of the work for sick and well. This is the body. The medical missionary work is the arm, and Christ is the head over all. Thus the matter has ever been presented to me. Don't get the idea that the medical missionary work is the first and priority work. It's the opening wedge, and it has its proper place to open the door to the gospel. 
Um, and from Loma Linda Messages, page 59, I want to tell you that the gospel ministers and the medical missionary workers are not united. When they're not united, there is placed on our churches the worst evil that can be placed there. We've seen this in so many churches. There's a lack of support. The two don't work together. Sorry, when this goes forward, it jumps sometimes. Can you back up one? A winning influence. In our care for the sick, act tenderly, kindly, faithfully, that you may have a converting influence upon them. You have need of the grace of Christ in order to properly represent the service of Christ. And as you present the grace of truth in true, disinterested service, angels will be present to sustain you. The comforter will be with you to fulfill the promise of the Savior. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. There are some who believe that free clinics should be a humanitarian work because that's what disinterested service is. I don't think so. Disinterested service means that I'm doing it without what you're going to give back to me. But I'm doing it with the eye of pointing you to truth. Lead them to Christ. I have a charge to give, a message to bear to our sanitarium workers. Keep your souls in purity. Do a work that will have a winning influence on those placed in your charge. You can speak often to the sick of the great physician who can heal the diseases of the body as verily as he heals the diseases of the sicknesses of the soul. Pray with the sick and try to lead them to see Christ, their healer. Tell them that if they will look to him in faith, he will say to them, thy sins be forgiven thee. It means very much to the sick to learn this lesson. It shouldn't be separate physicians and chaplains. It should be our work to point them to Christ. Every sincere Christian bows to Jesus as the true physician of souls. When he stands by the bedside of the afflicted, there will be many not only converted, but healed. If through judicious ministration the patient is led to give his soul to Christ and to bring his thoughts into obedience to the will of God, a great victory is gained. Our work of healing body is only as effective as we combine it with healing the soul. Let's go next slide. In almost every community, there are large numbers who do not listen to the preaching of God's word or attend any religious service. If they are reached by the gospel, it must be carried to their homes. Often the relief of their physical needs is the only avenue by which they can be approached. They can pray with and for helpless ones who have not strength of will to control the appetite that passion has degraded. They can bring a ray of hope into the lives of the defeated and the disheartened. Their unselfish love manifested in acts of disinterested kindness will make it easier for the suffering ones to believe in the love of Christ. I've seen this over and over again as I've offered to pray with patients. Often some of the roughest people in society get tears in their eyes when I offer to pray. Let's go next. Those who deny self to do others good, and who devote themselves and all they have to Christ's service, will realize the happiness which the selfish man seeks for in vain. I put this slide in here because it reminds me why I need amen. Several people, even today, say, well, God has brought you to amen for this time or this purpose. And that feels good, but... That's not why God brought me to amen. 
God, amen doesn't need me. Amen doesn't need you. I need amen. And you need amen. Mark Brown was up here talking to you about becoming members. This is why you need to become a member of amen. Because we need to be saved from ourselves. There are so many things in our culture that are pulling on us. Some of it good. We get pulled in every direction. And unless we consciously and purposely put ourselves into service, we will likely be lost. And so amen is here to save me from myself. Those who devote who deny self to do good, others good, and who devote themselves and all they have to Christ's service will realize the happiness which the selfish man seeks for in vain. You've seen it. Multiple sports cars, the yacht, all these things can tempt us. But it doesn't truly bring fulfillment. True fulfillment only comes in service to others. Said our Savior, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Charity seeketh not her own. This is the fruit of that disinterested love and benevolence which characterize the life of Christ. The law of God in our hearts will bring our own interest in subordination to high and eternal considerations. We are enjoined by Christ to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is our first and highest duty. Our master expressly warned his servants not to lay up treasure upon this earth, for in so doing, their hearts would be upon earthly rather than heavenly things. So let me start the offering appeal for Sabbath. Amen doesn't need your money, but you need to give your money to amen. Because, why? Where your heart is, or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Do you want your heart to be in heaven? Then learn how to serve others. You want your heart to be in heaven? Then put your possessions in heaven. There's other ministries too, so you can balance that out. But honestly, this is the time to be seeking our souls. Where are my priorities, and am I putting it in to ministry? And I can assure you that we're going to use it carefully. Well, as we close, the medical missionary work. My heart is made sad as I look at our churches, which ought to be connected in heart and soul and practice with the medical missionary work. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines, but medical missionary work. The work of a minister is to minister. Our ministers are to work on the gospel plan of ministering. And so folks... Physicians and dentists and healthcare workers will have a work to do up to the very close of probation. And if pastors want a work to do in that very last day, they need to learn how to do medical missionary work as well. Because soon there won't be any other work to do. You will never be ministers after the gospel order until you show a decided interest in medical missionary work. The gospel of healing and blessing and strengthening. Let's go next. So what happens? I believe that the gospel is the power that will motivate the change for the light to go around the world in the very last days very, very quickly. God keeps bringing back to Seventh-day Adventists 
the message of Christ and his righteousness, the call to repentance that will cleanse us from selfishness, and combines that with a call to service. It's not just medical service, but the power comes together when the two are united. But what have we seen? We are here for the fifth generation as a movement that should have or could have been completed long ago. Because unbelief runs deep. We still fight that battle in our own hearts. We still fight that battle as a church. We are in a spiritual crisis in North America. There are honest-hearted pastors that are leading their congregations in a godly way. But so many of our churches have turned to an experiential religion that is moving away from doctrines. There are pastors that are afraid to speak out. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that God is raising up physicians and dentists. You don't get paid by the conference. You can speak when God calls. There's got time. Now is the time that we, in our own churches, start leading our churches to understand and embrace the message that God has been bringing back over and over and over. It will have a converting influence in our hearts. And then we need to lead our churches to know how they can minister to those around us in need. Who will unite the two programs that literally turn the world upside down in one generation? Acts chapter 17, verse 6. And Paul and Silas had just fled Thessalonica. And they came and they grabbed Jason and they said, this guy has been harboring them, those who turn the world upside down. That can be our experience today. That can be the experience of every young person. This will go very quickly in just a few short years. That's our calling. You know, the Levites weren't the ones that were called to be the priests in Israel. Did you know that? It's a whole other sermon. But God had intended every single Israelite to be a priest. What is a priest? Somebody that ministers to others and shares the gospel. They were the healthcare practitioners and the spiritual healers of their day. And God promises to have a kingdom of priests. Will we take care of his children? That's what our calling is. It's a miracle of the gospel when God takes an unholy man or an unholy woman and he makes them holy. Then he puts them back into an unholy world and keeps them holy. That is the power of the gospel that will transform our ministry, that will turn our practices into a ministry, it'll give us a calling. It is the reason why Amen exists, and I believe that's our calling here tonight. Let's just uh, kneel together as we pray. Our Father in heaven, 
It is indeed a high calling that you call us to. And Father, I just pray that somehow we, this generation in 2018, can feel and appreciate the call that you are making on our lives. Father, there's no need that this go on any longer. And so, I must confess that unbelief runs deep in my own heart. But I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be more powerful and that the faith of Jesus can spring up in my heart and if it can do it in my heart, it can do it in each heart here. So show us a picture of the love of God for each one of us tonight as we go back to our rooms. Convict us of what our part is in these last days and prepare an army, an army of physicians and dentists and healthcare workers united with ministers, united with young people, united with all those that will stand for truth. That is our prayer. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.